I'm breaking out into like this great like stress hives. Stress hives? Like I don't know my whole body is like all rejecting my humanity. Oh, I um, got back from the, that cruise. I lost my voice. I was... JJ, that sounds horrible. So exhausted. I do not recommend family reunions on a boat that you can't get off of. Family's terrible, isn't it, JJ? I mean, it was interesting. I had my soul cleansed by a Mayan priest. Did you do ayahuasca? No, that was not offered because this was like a Norwegian cruise line approved get off the boat activity. And a friend talked me into it without telling me what it was. Oh, okay. She was just like, we're going to get our soul cleansed and we're going to go swim in some cenotes. And I'm like, mm, I don't know what that is. And it was an eight hour horrifying experience. <laughs> but before you go swimming in the underground water cave, which is terrifying because there's like no light and there's bats and there's blind spiders, they put you in a freaking sweat lodge. Oh uh, no, is that like a sauna? No, it's like a brick hut that you have to crawl into and it has a hole in the top and a door. Everybody crawls into this sweat lodge. They give you noisemakers so that you can distract yourself from the hell of the claustrophobia while they fill the room with heat and smoke and then they start doing like chanting to get you through the experience because it's they tell you they're like if you want to get out you can get out but really you really need to try to experience and acclimate acclimate to the horrifying experience because if you want to get out we'll let you out but we're not letting you back in like i wanted to get out of that fucking hut within the first 10 minutes and i think i passed out because I, you start sweating so much and it's so horrifyingly hot but right when you think you're gonna die the shaman comes around and he like throws water water in your face and you're like oh I think I can do this for like another 10 minutes and then when they take you out finally you're like okay now I do feel like my soul has been cleansed because I'm just so fucking glad to be alive right now that I'm not in that hut anymore it's like such a relief but I would never pay to do something like that again ever it was like miserable <sighs> then they give you a life jacket and a flashlight and a snorkel and some goggles. You climb into this underground cave where there is no light and then you float in an underground river with stalactites and stalagmites and fucking bats. That actually sounds amazing. It was terrifying. I swam in the fetal position the whole time holding on to my like life jacket and just floating. So they would tell everybody like, turn off the lights, we're gonna do sensory deprivation. And you would float in the dark and it was hard to get comfortable. It's like being in the womb again. That's what they were trying to tell you the whole time. They were like, oh, getting out of the smoke hut, it's like being in your mother's womb. This is how hot it is in your mother's womb. And I'm like, I don't want to go back there. Like, that sounds like hell. My soul does not feel any better. I feel just as evil and horrible as I did before. <laughs> Good. I'm glad they didn't cure you of that. I was worried you were going to come back all woo-woo, GG. It was getting a bit woo-woo there from all of those Facebook posts. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. Oh, it was hilarious. Hey, when I asked you if you were bored, were you bored? I was never bored on the boat but no you were bored on that cruise weren't you JJ you couldn't wait to get back yeah there were moments when I was like it was a few days too long maybe right yeah and I wouldn't recommend it I really wouldn't that is not a relaxing vacation no and the only reason we did it I swear was because my brother had died a year ago and I really wanted to have like a family get together mm -hmm. that was not a funeral that's so fresh JJ you must have started doing this podcast pretty soon after he died he died September 13th in a motorcycle accident, and it was very sudden, and it was so traumatic that I literally... 
joined a podcast. Like all my immediate sisters, I was like, we're going on a cruise and I'm paying for it. Like you have to go. This was your idea. This was 100% my fault. Oh my God. Morning makes you do crazy things. Like you guys were talking about it, you and Brother Benjamin, about how, what is it that makes a person join a religion? We were talking about William McClellan. Benjamin was like, this says everything about why people join weird religions because he just lost his family or his wife or something and he was primed to do something woo-woo because of that. Yeah. Whereas he may not have normally. What makes a person go on a goddamn boat for a week with their sisters and their brother's best friend and his in-laws and his widow? Like, it was total pure chaos of mourning insanity because people do crazy shit when they're sad. That's right. We're out of the cults now. We're into the weird vacations. You just got bored and paid a lot of money for it. And seriously, cruises, if it wasn't for the fact that it was like a convenient way to get everybody together, they are the shittiest types of vacations on the planet. Like they do everything to try to make you forget that you're stuck on a boat, Uh. but you're stuck on a boat with a lot of strangers. Did you get seasick? No, there were some days I didn't feel good and the food was never that great. Oh, really? Like by the time you wake up and you want breakfast, it's like 10 o'clock and they're getting ready for lunch and they've shut down the buffet for an hour. So I lost 10 pounds on this cruise. Oh, bravo. Like I lost weight, partly because of that goddamn sweat lodge. You're living the dream, Gigi. You go on holidays and lose weight. And you come back with COVID and like a stomach bug. It was great. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) If you get COVID but lose 10 kilograms, I think you're winning. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, You bring out the crisps and all of a sudden the dog shows up. This dog missed me. That's right. Pudding just likes to sit there and look at you. She's so loving. Molly is a bit more independent because she wasn't a rescue. But Pudding has trauma. Right. So she's very attached. Oh, she's so adorable. I'm glad you're back from your trip because you've been talking about it forever. You guys are in the middle of summer, right? Yeah, we are. But it's a really weird summer. It hasn't been as hot as it usually is. Hmm. So. It seems so weird to me that you guys are celebrating Christmas when it's warm. It's a horrible time of the year. In Brisbane, summer sucks. Are you doing anything for Christmas? Well, there's no one to do anything with. It's just me and my mum as far as family. If they don't come up with this anti-aging shit, I will die alone. I'll be there. You and me. (laughs) We'll die alone over video chat. Like, I have the Christmas tree, like, half decorated, and I've got, like, really lazy garlands up that look really shitty because I haven't fixed them up, and they just are, like, hanging off the banister of the stairs really lazily. Just make sure you put up some mistletoe to give Brad a chance to kiss you. No, none of that shenanigans, none of that. Oh. It won't be anything fancy. We don't even really buy presents because, like, all the money comes out of the same bank account. Right? Why would you do that? Did you want something? Buy your own fucking present. But we're really low-key like that. We don't put a lot of stock in, like, gestures. Like, my boss gave me such a hard time because Brad forgot my birthday this year. Oh, wow. But he's like, what? That's like a job of a husband. How could anybody forget your birthday? Like, that's a very big deal. Because he had decorated my whole office. Like, oh, my God, you guys are the only ones that remembered. So, yeah, we don't do gestures like that. Maybe that's a bad sign, but wow. It's not a bad sign, Gigi, and you're not the only one. I don't do anything for birthdays. I don't do presents. I don't do Christmas. My mom is the only one that gives a shit about all of those things. Yeah. Those days roll around and she knows I'm not going to do anything. Sometimes I try to make an attempt at it, but it's always shitty and I don't want her to do anything for me. Uh. But she just always longs for this era like when she grew up, when families were more 
more cohesive and in each other's face all the time. Mm. And they were bigger. But she didn't have a family. She had one person. That's all she had. And that's what you get. It's not cohesiveness. But this is society now too, right? However you want to romanticize that past, that's not necessarily what it was really like. Right. It wasn't that great. No, there was a lot of anxiety around holidays. And a lot of that is just very temporary. Like Mm -hmm. there was times in our family when we had big gatherings when I was younger and there was like cousins and things like that. But like as I've gotten older, the dynamics shift and you just have to kind of like make new traditions or make new moments to mark whatever. (laughs) So on that note, happy holidays. Let me tell you a little bit about Saints episode 15. The guests on the Saints podcast were Elder J. Devon Cornish. He's a member of the Quorum of the Seventy and an assistant director of the Church History Museum. And of course, <laughs> there is Sarah Iring on there as well. Oh, yes. I wish she said stuff because then I would have included clips of her. But when she doesn't really say anything that adds to stuff, I can't include her. But yeah. what I find interesting about the stuff that she does say, whenever she's speaking to like these men on the episodes and she wants to input something, she'll say her point and then ask it like it's a question, like deferring to them. Didn't they? Is that what happened? Is that right? Yeah, she's the supporting role. And I'm just like, oh, Sarah, you're so much better than all of these dicks. Go and do your own thing. Anyway. The men take this tone of superior patriarchal viewpoints and the women so easily subsume themselves into supporting that because that's how they get their own power. I guess so. Because they don't have it on their own. They only get it through their shows of support for the power above them. Yeah. And it's audible in their voices. Oh, for sure. It's tangible. Yeah. So... I hear it in her voice. Yeah. Did you hear that little clip of her saying hello, though, at the start? Hello. Yes. <laughs> uh, isn't that just a panty dropper? Hello. Oh, right. I want to just have that on my phone. <laughs> yes. Oh, hi, Sarah Iring. Please be on our podcast. I'm lonely. Become a next Mormon. Uh, Mormons are hot. Right. Anyway, oh. this episode of Saints is a lot about DNC 76, which is all about some revelation that Smitty and Sidney Rigdon pretended that they got about heaven being different than how it was kind of traditionally thought. But I didn't include all of how heaven is different in the clips because I felt like Elder J. Devon Cornish's explanation of how it was different from the rest of Christendom was a bit lopsided. I don't think he fully understands what the prevailing idea was like exactly. He wasn't totally wrong, but of course he only has a Mormon-centric idea about how their version is so different from everybody else's and that theirs is just so unique and the best. And I just kind of left all that rhetoric out. I mean, there's really not much you need to know about it, except they expand the idea to make it so that there's three heavens and not everyone dies. If you're only sort of good you sort of go to a middle place instead 
Which is kind of like purgatory, right? Yeah. It's not really a new idea that middle people go to a middle place, but if he wants to pretend like it's a great new idea, well then good for him. And I never really liked their version of heaven because it sounded horrifying to me that like you would be a woman who just had babies all the time. I don't think Christians think about what they're really saying about what heaven is like, because the more you think about it, the more it sounds ghastly. The idea of standing around the throne of God forever singing, Oh, yeah. Just worshipping. That sounds horrible. There's no creativity in that. No. But they talk about it like, oh, you're just going to love it. Fuck that. If that's God, he can go fuck himself. I'd rather die. Like if you were to ask me what I would want the afterlife to be, Mm -hmm. I would just love it if I got to learn everything about everything. Like it was like you walk into a library of all the information. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And in those books, there will be stories. And in those stories, there will be all the souls, like everything about everything. And then I would like the opportunity to go experience all of those conscious beings. Like, so instead of just opening up a book, It's like you open the book and now you're Princess Diana or you're living a version of the life or you're living some other life of your own where you get to go and do it again, but do things a little differently this time and maybe play that role out for a bit. Hmm. Maybe I would go to heaven and now I get to open a door where I'm Gigi 2.0, where I didn't marry Brad and instead I did something else that would have been an option. Hmm. I would like to also see the version of my life when I didn't make those decisions. Like that would be fun. Be interesting, wouldn't it? Because the universe is infinite, you could do that forever with every storyline of every human. And sometimes I'm just going to be born as all the hummingbirds. I'll just be the ant colony. Because you know what? How awesome to maybe live your life as a prairie mole. I don't know. To me, that is way more dynamic than sitting around with one version. So I feel like the miracle of life is so much bigger than anything that Joseph Smith could ever write about. Yeah, the idea of heaven is not very imaginative at all. And it's no wonder because it came from a time when I guess people didn't have a lot of time to imagine. And they didn't have TVs. and They They were just busy being alive. Right. I mean, you're just busy surviving with bad dental care. Right. But yet somehow they found the time to write some shit down on some scrolls. So, I mean, I guess they had some free time. Yeah. Without all that TV and the internet and the TikTok, I could have written three books of Mormon by now. (laughs) That's right. Okay, Reddit told me the other day, I think I've spent four months of my life this year on Reddit. Ah, that's horseshit though. I could have done a lot more productive things with my time besides scrolling the internet and just reading news. But seriously, you were multitasking during that time. And I enjoyed every fucking minute of it. It was relaxing. Yeah. You know. But you weren't solely devoted to Reddit for three months of the year. No, it was sporadically. You know, you're sitting on the toilet, but I swear to God, like, that is me doom scrolling. Doom scrolling on the toilet, yeah. Just doom scrolling on the toilet. That's my life. You need some better subreddits to be connected to. Join the longevity subreddit. That'll make you happy. I haven't seen that one. God, I'm on some interesting ones. It's not all bad news. It's not all bad news. Uh, if you want a good laugh, join the polyamory subreddit just to see all the troubles that polyamory people have. I swear to God, maybe I have a lower libido or whatever, but to me, that just seems like more trouble. They're more miserable than me. I would rather be single than be part of a polygamist relationship or any type of polyamorous relationship that requires that much work is not appealing to me. I think there's a lot of women that would just rather be single, full stop. I would rather be single, full stop. Look at Sister Wendy. Sister Wendy? 
Wendy. Rusty's wife. Yeah, I think Sister Wendy rather be single. Yeah, well, no, she likes the power. She likes the associated power, I think. Well, she likes it now. And the attention. But it must be disgusting being married to him. Do you reckon they've ever fucked? I don't know if Rusty can get it up. I can't imagine. It seems like it would be very sandpapery. <laughs> And well, that's right. He'd be trying to fuck her with his rusty nail. Not pleasant. That's not fun. And it, they'd probably be doing it through like a hole in the sheet while they're both wearing their garments. When Rusty kicks the bucket, do you reckon Sister Wendy will remarry? No. No, I can't see it happening. She's going to die a virgin. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. She's getting exactly what she wants out of life. And she gets trips overseas. She's winning the lottery of life, that woman. Yeah. The women up high in that church have a different experience and they have a vested interest in maintaining the patriarchy. The other thing before we start listening, I just want to say a bit more about this Saints 15. Elder J. Devon Cornish, member of the Quorum of the Seventy, he sounds like a piece of meat because he's got Devon in his name and also Cornish. It's like corned ham. Devon is a piece of processed meat. Mm, corned beef. Do you have Devon in the States? Is that something that you have? No. It's spelt differently, but oh, it's a piece of processed meat. Anyway, so he quotes John chapter 5, 39, but he actually got it wrong. It was supposed to be John chapter 5, 29. They're really quite different. And I only realized this actually after I looked up DNC 76, because if I hadn't have done that and just took him at his word, I would have been trying to figure out what the fuck. 539 had to do with what he was talking about. So this old fart with Devon for brains, Devon Cornish, got it wrong. I pulled up the messenger message that you sent us. My first clip I can hear is Sarah saying hello. Isn't it great? She does things to me, Gigi. She does. <laughs> That's your ASMR. Hello. Hello. I want my computer to say that to me in the morning. Early in 1832, February... Joseph and Sidney Rigdon are much involved in the inspired revision of the New Testament. In the process of this, they're reading John chapter 5, verse 39, which talks about the afterlife and the outcome for the good and for the evil. And there are about 12 other people in the room. They have this vision open up. Joseph says, I see, and then begins to say things that others can write. And Sidney says, I see the same. Sydney sees things and says, I see, and they write, and Joseph says, I see the same. So this is quite a remarkable event of other people, some of whom leave written accounts, observing this revelatory experience. When I was in fifth grade, there were some haunted bathrooms near my class. Haunted bathrooms? I had the school that was kind of spread out. And near one of the play yards, they had this bungalow with some bathrooms in it. A bungalow? Yeah, like... What's a bungalow? Like, why is this on a school? Because, like, overflow extra kids. Sometimes they brought in, like, not mobile home-like, but... Like makeshift buildings. Yeah, like, that are technically temporary, but are really quite yeah permanent if you wanted to leave them there. So, sure. they had these bungalows that they had kind of made some extra rooms for, and they had this, like, extra set of bathrooms, but for whatever reason, they didn't really need them, so they kind of kept them closed unless there was overflow, and they didn't want to pay the janitors to go clean some bathrooms that nobody was using. So, they kept them 
locked. And the kids decided that they were haunted. And oh all the kids goodness. also decided, led by me, that we were going to go and confront the ghosts. I was in charge of this expedition and I realized that you can't just go and confront ghosts and have nothing happen because that's lame. <laughs> so when I was leading the charge to go and confront the ghosts, I took it upon myself, just like a person fucking with a Ouija board, to start telling people what I was seeing. And I started drawing pictures <gasps> oh. of what I was seeing. Okay, and I was not very creative. It was like, oh, there's a floating knife and I'm drawing it. I'm like, this is what I see. What do you guys see? Bunch of fourth grade kids, right? They're like, yeah, I see it also. So I realized how easy it was to manipulate people with my lies by altering their understanding of what is true by telling them I was seeing ghostly apparitions. Mm -hmm. Okay, what the fuck else was that just now? A bunch of men get into a room and they're playing with the Ouija board and they're convincing each other of what they want to see and hear. I know. It is not hard to do. You just have to have the intellect of a fourth grader. Uh-huh. These people think it's a miracle, though, to get four or five men in the room to all agree that they're having the same experience. Well, mentalists can do that, too. So this is not evidence to me, you know. I think they like to talk about it like it was more than just two people having the same experience. But when you really listen to the story, I don't think it played out like that. I think everyone else was recording and watching just those two men discover that they can improvise by saying, I see this. And then the other person saying, I see it too. Yeah. And then this happened. And then the other person says, I see it too. And then this happened. Just two people wanking on, making up a story. Yeah. And it feeds off of itself. And it reminds me a lot of, look, Mormons judge the holy roller Pentecostal people who speak in tongues. <laughs> the Mormons actually believe in speaking in tongues too. They believe that it is possible for you uh -huh. to get a language. But the difference is, is Mormons never allow you to have a fake language. Like you actually have to learn like a language. Oh, you have it right there. You must be possessed by God. And now what's really amazing though, and if you go to some of these churches' patients, you'll have somebody stand up and say, I can translate what she just said. I know, I know. So now what do you have? You have a dual delusion. Two people engaging in what's called a folly adu. A folly adu. The folly of two people. Oh, tell me more. So when you go to these churches where the Pentecosts are speaking in tongues and translating. Well, how is that not a fucking miracle, right? Oh, I know. Well, if I'm not going to believe the Pentecostal people speaking in tongues, no more am I going to believe in these men locking themselves in a room and having a revelation in this manner. It's not convincing. I have spent a lot of time in Pentecostal churches. Do they do this often, the speaking in tongues? I've been sitting next to people and this happened to them. Has anybody ever broken the wall and just start laughing and being like, this is bullshit? No. No. What does that tell you about the power of group think. Well, the only people that are of that mindset that would actually believe that are the ones that are willing to sit through the boredom of the service to get to that point, you know? Yeah. It filters itself out. So yeah, I don't put a lot of stock in this type of revelation. And it's not normal. I know. No. Oh. He talks about it like it's so amazing and it just isn't. Also, I just want to point out older J. Devon Cornish's voice. He sounds exactly like every other Mormon leader 
Twitter and it really shits me. They all have this weak sound that is just so mamby-pamby and sends you to sleep. I don't know how any of these women could possibly be attracted to any man that talks like that. It's the reverent voice. Do you find it irritating? I find it more irritating coming from the women. So the men, the way I hear it is they're trying to sound logical, and but they're almost talking down to you because what they're trying to do is not have some emotional argument. They're trying to make it sound like everything that they're saying is very logical and reasonable and that this is the path and that they know better than you because they have the priesthood. And so they are up here. They don't have to yell. They don't have to preach. They don't have to get Pentecostal because they have so much authority that they can do it in a reverent, calm manner. But the words coming out of their mouth are not logical. The words coming out of their mouth don't have any reason or support. But the way that they say them, because of the words that they're using and the way that they say it, they think comes across with authority. And it's a repetitive behavior that you see throughout all the churches. And you learn it from a very young age because this is how they preach in a Mormon church. If you go to Mormon church, that's just how they all sound. I'm not as offended by the male voice of it as I am the women. And here's why. Because they take on this sweet, reverent voice about what it is to be a woman in God's love. Oh. Pedantically sappy. And oh. I always felt like, what the fuck is wrong with these women? Yeah. Don't they realize they don't have to have all these babies and be these things? And Growing up in church, I was annoyed at the women too. They're totally buying into all of this sexist bullshit. And I was like, why don't you have a problem with that? And they just rationalize it all away. Yeah. All right. So let's listen to clip two, which I've called Good Heavens, as, 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 which is kind of about the fallout after this vision came out. Joseph and Sydney's vision was causing a stir. Many saints quickly embraced the newly revealed truths about heaven, but others had a hard time squaring the vision with their traditional Christian beliefs. A few saints rejected the revelation and left the church. The vision further troubled some of their neighbors who were already bothered by the letters Ezra Booth had published in a local newspaper. As the letters spread Ezra's criticisms against Joseph, other former members of the church joined in, raising questions in the minds of people whose family and friends worshipped with the saints. Well, there's, you know what, if you go through the history books and you look at the actual text, there's a ton of affidavits talking about how Joseph Smith was a goddamn horrible person in the community. Nobody ever pays attention to that evidence. They play it down. Yeah, they're not doing good history writing here because you have to take all of it into account, even the stuff you don't like, and then try and synthesize a narrative from all of it, or at least admit when you know things are very foggy and we don't know what happened. They're not doing that in this book, and they're having the hide to call it history. It sounds like you've listened to that episode I did with Brother Benjamin, which is Mm -hmm. probably one of my favorite episodes of this podcast of all time, which is the last Saints episode we did, where I read out some of these affidavits that were in there from (laughs) the Harris ladies. They were sassy. I know. 
that Abigail Harris, oh my God, marry me. <laughs> the way she tore strips off Smitty while speaking with Lucy Mack was just hilarious. Here we're seeing the fallout. There were quite a lot of people backing out of Mormonism and not liking the stuff that he said. Yeah. So this is after the Book of Mormon has been printed. This next thing that they're working on, which is like an inspired reinterpretation of the New Testament or something. It's not really a translation. It's just Smitty sitting there with Rigdon and just coming up with whatever they want to say about the New Testament. But I thought when they said translating, it's like the Book of Mormon, but this is a different translating. I see. I was confused. I couldn't work it out. It feels like he's just always been translating shit, but the terminology is so confusing. Like it wasn't the golden plates from the Book of Mormon. Yeah. It was just Joseph Smith sitting in a room having visions with his friends about people's underwear. Like, that's how I feel. I think this clip is just incredible. Have a listen and tell me what you think. Truth isn't truth and falsehood isn't falsehood based on our emotional impressions of it. It's true or not based on whether the Spirit bears witness to our minds, our common sense, our logic, our experience, and our hearts, the witness of the Spirit, about its truth. Oh my God, that was exactly the opposite of what truth is. The logic behind that was so fucking bullshit. I know. Because he says it's not depending on how you feel, but it depends on how you feel. He tries to say you need to start thinking about these things critically and then ruins it by saying, no, you need to listen to your heart. This is fucking doublespeak. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. So this statement makes me absolutely furious. It's a logical fallacy wrapped up in bullshit that sounds like something poignant. I'm sorry, you got me really wrapped up there. I can't wait till Sarah Iring gets out of this horse shit and turns into an angry woman and then I'm going to love hearing her be angry even more. She's too invested. Maybe. Go to this next one where you're like, shitty humans being shitty. They dragged Sydney out by his heels out of the house and across the earth, banging his head with no protection, and he was left delirious, uh, near dead. The magnitude of the violence here was quite extreme. When they tried to force a vial of acid into Joseph's mouth, chipping a tooth, which remained chipped the rest of his life. When they scratched him and poured hot tar and feathers on him, and when they brutalized Sidney to virtually coma status. This was intended to send a message. We don't want Mormons. We don't want your beliefs. And the same kinds of things were happening in Missouri as well. They then spent the evening cleaning both Sydney and Joseph up. Scraping tar. off the tar and skin and oh. trying to get it out of his mouth. And But they did that so that in the morning he could preach as he had planned to do. Speaking as planned to the gathered congregation, which included members of the mob. But Joseph said nothing about his prior night's treatment, said nothing against his people, preached the gospel of Christ with love and power by the Spirit. One only can conclude that this is what a disciple of Christ should look like. Oh, this fucker deserved it. Here's what they forget. 
the reason they were being tarred and feathered <laughs> and the reason that vigilante justice had enough of him was all his goddamn shenanigans. Now, okay, I am not a supporter of extra judicial killings. I believe in justice. But when you are in a society back in the day and you're living in a shotgun type of a culture of survival and trying to keep people in line in your society, it's hard to blame the mob who is sick of you taking little girls into the back of the stable and fucking them and telling them that now they're your spiritual wife. Mm. Childbirth was very dangerous for children back then. When you get a 14-year-old pregnant back in the day, I'm sure her parents have something to say about that. You're doing damage in the community. Lying to them about golden plates. You're lying to them so that you can take their money. And you're lying to them about polygamy and what you're doing with their daughters. That's going to rile some people up. Mm-hmm. The fact that you got a bit punished for that behavior, so sad you had a chipped tooth for the rest of your life and you got a bit banged up and you had some tar and feathering and eventually the mob is going to kill you because you didn't stop doing that shit. But that's how the history of America has been. Like if you are going to go against the norms of society back in the day, there's going to be repercussions sometimes. Like people had guns. So don't give me a big boohoo story about how you're a martyr, but the Mormons really play this up. So yeah, all of this flowery language about how he preached the gospel like God's disciple the next day. Well, you know, he was probably kind of careful about what he said because he just got tarred and feathered. <laughs> maybe. Yes. Yeah, he didn't want it to happen again. So maybe he was a bit censured. The reason I call this clip shitty humans being shitty is because I think everyone was shitty in this. I actually read a bit of it from the Saints book and, you know, it is horrific. I almost left this clip out because it's just like, we don't need to hear people being horrible. Oh, yeah. Especially Sydney. I think there's theories that because he was dragged like that, he may not have been much good after that. He might have been a bit loopy. So that's horrible. Oh, yeah, especially with no modern medicine. And again, I never would support extrajudicial punishment. If you have a problem with somebody, you take them to court. But, you know, tarring and feathering, I'm sure it was horrible. But I don't know anybody else that might have deserved it quite so much. It was more than just tarring and feathering. But also, I mean, the good elder, who apparently was a doctor before he became an elder, he says that, (laughs) you know, this was also part of the society. So it wasn't just happening to Mormons, it was happening to everyone. So we does preface it with all of that. Oh, yeah. He makes it well known that he understands that the Mormons weren't the first one to come up with tarring and feathering. No, no, no. That was going on for millennia, probably. It was just the way the mob dealt with things at that time in history, which is horrible. And look, you know what? This isn't the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, religious people have been doing shitty things to people forever. Oh, my God. This is like a medium amount of persecution. It really could have been worse, but it was horrible. It was assholes on all sides. There's bad people people on both sides. All right, I'm going to the next. Communism sucks with Will McClellan. Do you remember Will McClellan? I don't remember. He was... Will McClellan's story is so interesting. Oh, hold on. Let me listen to this. Let's talk about another individual that we meet in, in this chapter. This is William McClellan. William's been a missionary. He's been sent off. He gets a little discouraged. He leaves his mission and gets a job and marries the woman. Exactly. <laughs> Not a good idea uh, for a missionary uh, who's been called and been given a responsibility. He decides he's going to go to Missouri with a group of about a hundred others. In a revelation to Joseph, God had rebuked William for abandoning his mission, but William believed he could start over in Zion. He wanted to do it on his own terms, however. 
In the summer of 1832, he and his company moved to Missouri without a recommendation from church leaders, which the Lord required migrating saints to obtain so that Zion would not grow too quickly and strain resources. When he arrived, he also did not go to Bishop Partridge to consecrate his property or receive an inheritance. Instead, he bought two lots in independence from the government. Done in the Lord's way, it could have blessed all concerned, including William and his company. But to do what he probably perceived as a worthy act in his way had disastrous and sad consequences for the entire community. This was a good and very talented, well educated, intelligent man who later turned enemy to the saints and caused substantial harm. Ah,、oh, shut up, Elder Devon. The voice. Ah,、oh, it's just so. I cannot handle that, Elder Devon. He's trying to almost appeal to emotion with, I think, the way he's using his voice. It's weird to listen to. His wife must hate him. I want to explain some terms that they use there. I don't know if you noticed it, but he said he didn't go to Partridge, the bishop, to consecrate his land and get an inheritance. What those words mean are the law of Consecration, which is basically where he hands his goods over, his property over, and gives it away to the communal pot. And then inheritance, I would imagine, would be where、yep. Partridge hands it back to him and says, "I let you have your land." He didn't do that. Yes, because communism sucks, and good on him. I know. You know the manipulation of you're not doing it the way God wants you to do it, which is really just the way we want you to do it, so that you can share the wealth. That's right. The Mormons don't do that now. That was just an idea they had right. Then. Oh, you know, and that's the thing that drives me so crazy right now. <laughs> How much money are they sitting on? Right. How much good are they doing with it? It's so manipulative to be like, you didn't do it the way God wanted you to, because God wanted you to do it the way is best for us, and now you are creating havoc among the saints. And the havoc he's talking about, he never really can describe what that havoc is. I had a little read in the book, really all the bad that I could find. Just unrest that there were so many Mormons in the community, the people didn't like it. That was about it. But he's talking about it like it's such a horrible bad thing that happened. I think what he's really talking about is apparently after this, Will McClellan eventually gets out of the church and becomes quite the anti-Mormon, along with Ezra Booth and others. So I think basically he becomes a thorn in Mormonism's side because they were just treated so poorly. They only have themselves to blame. Well, that's all I wanted to talk about this week. What have you got coming? Up in the next week, JJ. Anything fun? I am not doing any holiday anything. I am not running around telling you that Santa Claus exists. Okay, so I don't have the burden of proof to show you that he exists. Oh, he exists, JJ. I know, right? He's getting ready right now up in the South Pole, but in Australia he rides a kangaroo. Does he have little koalas in his like instead of elves? He does. Yes. <laughs> I'm just working for the rest of the month, trying to catch up from. Having my soul cleansed and getting off of a boat. All right, you. I'm gonna let you go. I've got an early morning appearance in court. Well, you have a great week. See ya. Bye. See ya. This is my new normal.